Welcome again to Permaculture Tonight. I have an amazing guest tonight. We have Justin Rhodes of Abundant Permaculture, the Permaculture Ninja, the chicken expert in the permaculture world. This guy studied under Jeff Law and he went around and interviewed experts in the field like Joel Saladin. He went and collected perspectives from all over the map. He has a lot to talk about and his attitude and his perspective is one of can-do and uh, homesteader grit. And I just love talking to Justin. I met him at Permaculture Voices and we've uh, chatted here and there ever since and I'm really grateful for his friendship. And so without any more uh, lead up, here we go. Justin, I'm so excited to have you on because we've met and you're on a similar path that we are on and I feel like you're further on ahead and you have a lot to tell not only like me and my, my own personal life my, and for me and my family to help us, but for every family that's thinking about taking on homesteading, um, I would say that you have the homesteading mindset really locked in. I mean, you don't hide anything. Uh, you show when things go wrong, and then you show how you adapt and cope with those things. And uh, that's true grit. Um, and it's really exciting that you're you're starting this course. Um, it's really exciting that you um, that brought permaculture chickens to so many people. And um, why don't you tell us about uh, where you live and your climate to start off with, so that the people listening can kind of um, relate to where you are because you're you're between a lot of different things you're hot but you've got cold winters mm -hmm. and, and and you have rain but you do get some dry right yeah we're not really we're actually in a uh, temperate rainforest really so i'm in the mountains near Asheville, north carolina we have four seasons uh, and they're all wonderful seasons. One cool thing about living here is we don't go too extreme hot and we don't go too extreme cool. Uh, maybe our weather problems is, may, is maybe too much rain. Now, there can be a time where we don't get rain for a few weeks and it can affect things, but it's sort of rare and, and it seems to make up for it. Like we went through what we would call a drought, you know, no rain for a couple of weeks. And then now it's raining every afternoon and everything just pops right back. So that I had very wild. little, if any loss to that. So oh, it, right now it's 92, it's gonna be 90 degrees today. That might not sound hot to a lot of people, but it's also humid in North Carolina. And so it feels like, uh, I say 187, but it's more like, you know, probably feels more like 100 maybe. But then in the winter, we, we don't get too extreme there too. We might have a few days of minus nine Fahrenheit, but more like hanging around in the 20s and 30s, 40s during the day. So that range, like 20s to 40s throughout the 24-hour period. And we might get a few snows that might amount to a foot over the entire winter. So... I live in a really nice place. By the time you're sick of the heat, it's it's fall, and by the time you're sick of the winter, it's spring. Nice. So that's awesome. Well, you know, just to give you an idea, um, the soils in full sun here uh, can get to 140 degrees, two inches deep. So Gosh. it's a little bit hot, a little bit <laughs> dry. Um, yeah, I was hoping you had some dry, but there's none. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have to just be jealous of me. Yeah, no, I mean, the reality, we live in an area that's on fire. 
we literally live in an area that's on fire right now. So yeah. um, moving at some point for my children and their lungs uh, is actually a real, a real important thing as a parent that I have to, I have to consider and pro- probably do sooner yeah, than later. Sure. Uh, because the fires every summer last two to three months and they're every week sometimes three to four a day so it is the pyrophytic landscape and it's real it's desertifying so uh, I think everyone in California who's listening um, would be wise to look at climates like yours that have a full ferment in winter where you have snow that covers the ground uh, and, and at the bottom, right, it's 32 degrees, so it's yeah. that perfect fermenting temperature um, and, and turning it all into good soil. So that's very awesome. So you have this this this, this humid, non-brittle climate, right, if you make a, a bare patch of land, it heals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It heals in like two days. <laughs> it, <feels> like... <laughs> you make... it jumps back right away. That's incredible. It takes a long time here. Um, we're not as brittle as, uh, yet in certain areas, but, um, anyway, that's California, uh, right now is it's all turning brittle. Mm. So why don't you give, uh, give us an idea of, of your next project? Cause I know, cause, cause we all know you through permaculture uh, yeah. chickens, you're the permaculture ninja, but I know that you're working on, because I mean, you have this mindset that everyone is drawn to. You have a problem-solving mindset. You're a family guy. You're making things happen, and I know you've got something else. So, so t- why don't you tell us about that? Well, my first project was chickens, and it it it's, it goes to say that chickens are the gateway to sustainability. They're the gateway drug to growing your own shift. They're really, I think, one of the most easiest things to get into. So chickens, and I think chickens become come before anything else if you have any sort of space, okay? And you can do chickens in surprisingly small amount of spaces. But I say chickens before the garden because, if I, okay, if I set up to a new place, I would get chickens and they would begin prepping for the garden, okay? So I'm expanding into more of the what's next. So what what next in that natural, most easy progression is the garden. So I'm I'm creating a course called the Ten Hour Homestead because one thing one there is a misconception about homesteaders out there. I think there's there's an idea that homesteaders have to be these hardcore off off the grid, uh, full time people, but in reality it's not. Their people are homestead. Most of the homesteaders are just doing it around their full time job. So I've seen that. I've seen that need in my audience. I now have an audience to figure out their needs. I've surveyed them extensively. And most people actually struggle with time and space. So most of my people, believe it or not, even though I'm teaching more like the small scale homesteading, like five acre below, most of my people don't, uh, don't even have an acre. So they're, they're urban, they're, they're, they're suburban, and they do have dreams of more acreage, perhaps. So I'm going to help them. People have jobs. I'm going to. I'm, I've created a plan. You can grow most of your own food on le- on like half an acre or less, if you're willing to eat chicken and vegetables. You know, as a big part of your diet, you can grow most of your own food in a literal 10-hour week. Take get home from work, let off some steam, go for a workout in your garden. You know, forget the gym membership. Kill two birds with one stone. Work in your garden and tend to the chickens. Uh, make those two work together to cut yourself some time. And then on the weekend, have a have a, a 
four or five hour project, you know, build the coop or mend the fence or whatever. Um, and really, you really can grow so much in a short amount of time and a short amount of and a, and a not much space. So I'm going to help those people, the, the, major, the majority of homesteaders out there. That is awesome. I'm doing a little like gardening uh, webinar on how I garden uh, the 11th of August. So uh, it's free. So you could hop on there and, and, and see what I'm doing because I'm sure um, what I'm doing is going to seem bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, people in my garden, they're like, that's a riot. Uh, I think that your climate uh, is so much more sensible, I mean, because you're more into the temperate. Um, I'm using, like, Ernst Gauche uh, kind of methods uh, and, like, Fukuoka's methods um, to create this, like, multiple canopy to keep the sun off things because the sun is okay. insane. Um, so, yeah, all my audience members that really want to dial it in in that temperate climate because you're perfect. I mean... You could take your methods and you could you could go colder and you could go all the way up into the Mediterranean, which is, I'm on the edge of the Mediterranean. Uh, if we were wetter, we would be Mediterranean. It would be lovely, but we're not. Um, we're hot and dry. Which yeah. is, you know, a lot of people are facing that too. Um, and all, all the things that you teach with chickens uh, will apply because the omnivores are the things that break ground. Yes. <laughs> it's the grazers that clear the ground, right? Yeah. Right. So, so that's so interesting, the the small acreage thing, because I know that uh, if if we just like look at the uh, the people that are kind of garnering garnering attention right now, um, it's like Curtis and J.M. Fortier, um, they're they're getting a lot of attention because they're square inch gardening, and it's that yeah. that focused impact. Uh, for me, I'm focusing my time. I'm, I'm going out and throwing seeds around. Um, and I've created a system because I've worked with so many different seeds. And my season yeah. is so long that I've killed gardens by leaving and had like irrigation fail and replanted mm. and had a, a successful garden. Wow. Well, that's an advantage to your area then. It's a crazy advantage. And then you grow all winter. So what happens is you end up having like, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to like cut up the seasons in our area. It's weird. Um, because I mean, uh, did you take Jeff Lawton's online course or did you just fly over there? I was, I took it over there in Australia. So have you seen any of the footage that we saw? I don't know what you saw cause I haven't had access to the online. Okay. I, I mean, I now have friends and I like go over to their house and they've got the, the, the DVDs, you know, right there by their TVs and, and their kids are taking it. So. So, you know, people just share um, sometimes those things at, at home events and whatnot. Okay. Um, but, but, yeah, it's really good stuff. I just know that uh, you've had a one-on-one -on -one experience with Jeff Lawton. Um, mm -hmm. Neil Speckman was taught one-on-one -on -one by um, uh, Jeff Lawton. It's, I think there's a, a, an incredible energizing experience when we work with someone who knows what they're doing. And that's what you're doing is recreating that one-on-one -on -one experience with this online experience. That's good. Yeah. Um, so what, so you're, you're looking at doing a 10 hour, uh, this, this 10 hour thing to teach people what you're doing, what they can do. What are you working on that's kind of like on the back end that you uh, you don't know if it'll work out, you're experimenting with? 
Are you talking about with the business or with gardening? Oh, with gardening. I'm always like thinking seeds, but I should, I guess, think business. Okay, so <laughs> for the garden, well, we planted carrots. Uh, okay, so we moved, we, we, had, we planted carrots two weeks ago, and that's the right time to plant carrots. We had, they were on an area that the chickens were just on, so the chickens tilled, fertilized, even spread mulch. And we planted the carrots down into there, and we've never seemed to have a whole lot of luck with carrots. But this time, uh, we went ahead and amended the soil because, um, and so I guess to answer your question, then we're in hope that that amending, amending of the soil is going to do well. We amended the soil before on, our, on a garden real near it, when the, we did it too late, the crops were, were failing and we went and sought some local council and they said, you know, put these amendments on it. And we did that and it just came back wonderfully. So we're, we're assuming it's a similar soil type and I have tested it in the past. It is a similar soil type. It's pretty much just filled dirt. Uh, and then, um, so we amended that and we're hoping that we learned our lesson from that failure in that first garden and are you did putting, it like sand in to make it like more flowing? Well, you're supposed to amend the soil, you know, before you plant. So this time we amended it before we planted, before there was a problem. Okay. Right. And we even let our chickens till in the amendment. So we just threw it out instead of us having to go in and rake it in. We'd let the chickens do it, which was good. And so what was the amendment? What was it, Rebecca? What was the amendment we put on the garden? Blood meal, lime, and gypsum. Blood meal, lime, and gypsum. Ah. Okay. Yeah, how does that, yeah, you'll have to let me know how that works. And so you tilled it oh, in. Oh, it worked, it, it worked great for our, uh, the first garden where we saved it. Like, we saved it. Like, I was wanting to pull it all out. It was so, and even to a point of embarrassment, you know, we vlogged this. So it's on, it's on, I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of people are going to see this. But then, um, the other one, I don't see why it won't do better. And if it doesn't, that's cool too, because we're like, okay, we just continue to learn. Um, and with the experience, you just get to know so much more because we'll just eliminate one more possible problem that it could have been, you so know? You guys are lacking minerals. Yeah, especially lime. Wow. All right. So, well, but, but lime is, is calcium, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm just lumping it all in there as uh, amendments. I'm sorry. And then that that moves the pH up, right? Lime. Yeah. Okay. So wait, no, no. D doesn't it make it more acidic? Well, I don't know which I way. I have to pull out my my first book because I still use the word lime in yeah. my first book. Um, Lime brings it up. Now, is that Lime makes it more alkaline, so it adds calcium. So what that does is make uh, the pH go above pH 7, which makes nitrate available. Right. Uh, That's right. And below pH 7, it's ammonium, which is fruiting uh, and reproductive growth. There you go. So, yeah. So I'm like, this is the first year I really just haven't, like, done. Like, last year, I, I abandoned my garden in the middle of it, and I got hundreds of pounds of food. And, yeah. and bags, like gallon bags of seeds that are edible. And so I just like, and I kind of knew that, that, that things were going to get wild. And so I, I planted, planted for edible seed. I planted for stuff that I could harvest at the end of the season or harvest during. So like eat all greens that if they go to seed, I can sprout and make sprouts or whatever. 
my stuff's all decomposed granite. So what happened for me was I have got the soil life dialed in, and they're just chewing on that organic, um, the organic matter that I've laid down by doing several seasons and several passes of those seasons within seasons of like Jeff Lawton's chop and drop method. Yeah. Um, and so I've been doing that, and so the organic matter's up, but cool. I'm all decomposed uh, granite, so it's like pure mineral, our soil. It's all, and if you go to where there's no organic matter, which is outside my system, um, it's like, it, and you zoom in, it's little quartz crystals. Wow. So, I, I mean, like, that's all I got. That's, that's what we are. We're just like this mineral basket. Um, so you guys are like the opposite of that. Yeah. So what? Uh, so you guys are just like all organic matter and soil life, but not enough minerals. So you have to bring in the minerals. Yeah, but we didn't have to do too much. And it actually was just that area, I think, probably because it was field dirt. Because in the other areas that we garden, we do nothing, and it just jams. It just goes nuts. Interesting. Why do you think it's that area? Do you think it... Um... Well, the one area, one area I can think of had had the chickens on it for a really long time, and like half a year, and we had did the compost corner in there, so it had inches and inches of compost. So I imagine it's just good soil. And then the there's another area that does really well, and it's bottom, like it's it's old creek bottom, like that's where the pioneers would farm. They would come in here. And and because all the all the resources run down, and so it's just really rich stuff. Yeah. Toward, towards the bottom of the valley. Right. We are in the bottom of the valley. It's just that the two yards, the two gardens in my front yard, because of the way this was constructed, constructed has just a lot of field dirt, which is not a lot of topsoil. Um. So do you broaden that field dirt or? Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, the topsoil was pushed pushed aside to make make this happen or make it even or whatever. I don't know. It was before my time. So how far down? Do you have bedrock below you? Uh, we, it depends on where you are, but, I mean, we'll have, I don't know, we'll have a few inches of dark soil, and, and then you start getting into some rocky areas, but still, still uh, some decent soil and you could, it'd be a long time before you got to the bedrock. Well, our bedrock's pretty close in places, a few inches. Oh. Yeah. You can tell okay, the wow. trees. The trees no. will tell you. They're stunted, and then you go to, you know, around the corner or wow. over, and they're huge trees. Yeah. It just depends. So, all right, it's fascinating. So, wow. So, I've, I'm, I've, I don't amend at all anymore. I, I I sometimes bring animal bedding out, but I got rid of my goats because I was writing this book, and I just <laughs> couldn't give the goats enough time. Um, and then we have only two chickens. We got rid of the quail. Um, my friend has them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we just totally downsized because I didn't have time. Yeah. So so you got, you've got your schedule down to 10 hours, you're saying? Easy. I mean, it's less than that right now. I would say that would be an average for a growing season. I literally walk over and turn some things on, and I look. And sometimes I, I harvest for meals. Um, I know. But but I don't do anything else. Um, I mean, it's kind of, yeah. 
you go through a season. I mean, spring's crazy. I mean, you, you might not understand spring, but spring here is crazy. You know, the chicks are coming in, uh, the turkey poults are coming in. You know, you got your, you got, we're growing our meat birds. And do you get false starts? Do I do what? Do you get false start spring so that like, oh, it's spring three no, weeks spring? No, we go by. Like, you can, you can fall into that trick. A lot of people do, but generally we wait to the last frost date, which is May May tenth, before we set out anything fragile. Yeah. Oh, so you can grow in the greenhouse before then the fragile stuff. So ideally, you would you would have the chickens on a till job, getting a garden bed ready. Let's say uh, April. Uh, so maybe Easter weekend or something, you have a big work weekend or something. You just move your chickens onto where you want the garden, and you, and you plant the seeds in a greenhouse that you're going to plant there. And so then you move the chickens, and so then it gets you're after your frost date. You move your chickens out; they've cleared the area, and you plant your um, you plant your 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 plant starts in that area. And here, you know, uh, well, I, I mulch. You know, we'll bring in some wood chips or something and, and towards the end of the chicken's till job. And they'll, they'll spread it out. I don't like to leave the ground bare. Even here, I mean, you're going to lose it in the rain. You know, it's going to wash off and stuff like that. So nature still doesn't like, you know, doesn't like to be naked even here. So so we'll cover up with some mulch. And, and then you move the chickens out and plant the, the, the plants. And that saves you a lot of time because the plants then, you don't have to then worry about the weeds because... There will be weeds, but the plants have had such a head start, they're going to cloud out most of them. So Dr. Elaine Ingham is working on proving that you can just use compost teas to calibrate oh. the soil, like, more than pH. Like, specifically, wow. so the soil life... You know how we talk about biological controls for pests, where you create, like, like pollinators that attract... She's thinking about doing that on a uh, microbiological level. Oh. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm staying tuned to that. I, yeah, it's super neat. Cause, and, and she said it's different for everyone. So it's not like something that can be patented. Uh, oh, okay. So it's something that's going to be taught, and then everyone's going to be able to do it in their own area. And that's cool. Yeah, it's super cool. After chickens, what are you thinking? Of, you have cattle, right? Is that where you... Because, you know... We went to goat, and a lot of people say don't go goat. <laughs> Have you, did you go goat? And then, and then, no. Okay, you went my straight to cow. Likes, my wife likes cow milk, and so do I. And so you can't make, uh, what is it you can't make with goat? Because you can't, can you make goat or butter? You can't make goat butter, can you? No. It was one of those things, too. Like, cow can give you butter. Of course, they give you, they can give you cheese and milk and then beef too like we'll eat a goat but we don't like goat as much as we like beef so is that sort of thing so we we grow what we like to eat that's where we start yeah i think that what uh, in our area we just it's so brushy that everyone has goats to clear the brush because of the fire you know hazard yeah that makes sense i mean and goats aren't going to kill you they step on you Oh, yeah, that's true. Killed by a cow, okay? Even a non-aggressive cow, just some sort of mistake. Wow. Your kids definitely could. And, yeah. and cows, even a friendly cow, will want to herd, herd your kids because they think it's a calf. And so you got to – it's another element. you got to be super careful. And plus, they eat a lot. I mean, you're looking at two acres in this climate, the, the cold temperate climate, where it's plush, two acres to sustain one cow all year round. 
Are you shifting that count? It's of management too. That's not just letting them have the two acres. Yeah, yeah. Because you you, you interviewed Joel Saladin, so you're dialed into that. No, I'm not. I, I, well, I've read his book. I did it. I moved. I moved the cows every day. I've gotten okay out of it. I study under. I've probably learned more from Greg Judy, just because he's there's more. There's even more information out there by him. Right. The PV3 uh, audio oh, for his is amazing. That's one thing I need to learn. I'm really good at chickens. I'm okay at gardening. I'm great at cows, but still not in the, there's. The, that's such a specialty, I think. I mean, everybody, it's like everybody gardens and chickens. We've got chickens, and it's so easy. Cows, it's not the difficulty of their bigness. I mean, I like that. You get used to that. I even have cows with horns. But, uh, That's the way to go. It's the, well, they're beautiful, and they're heritage animals, and they're, they, they're proven, and they're good for meat, and they're good for milk, and they're even good for working as a ox. And so... Uh, it's our just and our mentality to that and getting that all-purpose animal and they'll do things and they'll build they'll build the soil on a broad basis i mean when i say a oh, one per two acre but that's also if you manage it right you're reconditioning two acres with one cow i mean they drop 40 pounds of manure a day so that's plenty of nitrogen source for your compost pile, which is usually what you're lacking. I mean, you can you can ride and go down the street in the fall, well, in, in the temperate climates, and people are throwing out their leaves. Oh, yeah, you're So right. you can come by leaves and wood chips pretty easy in these climates. It's the nitrogen that is a little harder to come by, and a cow will really knock that out for you. <laughs> You know, uh, what I really learned a lot about this stuff from Joel was the Saladin semester. You might check that out. It really yeah, that'd be good. I'm sure, because that goes into much more detail. It actually was really intense because I had to review it, and I said to myself at the beginning that you want this information before you start your book, finish your book, and then you if you're going to do a review you and Joel asks you you know oh what about this and it's like near the end and you didn't pay attention or something you, you, like I can't do that right yeah <laughs> it's Joel Saladin right you you don't you got to be on point so i watched it all and it was he covers so much information and then if you watch the Q&A there's even more information so yeah, I mean, and Greg Judy's PV3 talk is just littered with information, and it's great yeah. because you can see this 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 difference between them, like this edge between Curtis Stone and, and JM Fortier, because they're do everyone from the from a generalist perspective, they're both doing market gardening than urban setting, but it's completely different on uh, on another level uh, when you get closer yeah. in. So that's awesome. So tell where, where do you find the Greg Judy stuff? Do, uh, are you going and visiting him, or are you seeing it online? Uh, I plan to go to visit him because I think ultimately that's what you're going to have because you, you can read his book just like you could to Joe Salatin, and you can listen to that stuff and watch it. But especially if you don't have cows or you're not trying to move them, there's so few people moving their animals once a day, let alone 12 times a day, so like Greg Judy will do every once in a while. And so – but it's it's you it's there and it makes sense in those talks but until you're on the ground you don't know how much more information you really need and experience and not just experience but mentor like gone are the days of the apprenticeship that's too bad because that's where it's going to happen so i'm going to i plan on visiting and 
uh, getting more because there's time you say, oh, do I, did I overgraze? Did I undergraze? How do you really measure it out? And they'll you, they'll answer those questions verbally. Where I've got the the Greg Judy stuff, there's a really good like two and a half hour podcast on permaculture voices. If you just Google permaculture voices, Greg Judy, they'll 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 come up plenty of resources. And and you know, Greg Judy presentation even have pictures, but and I was asking a ton of questions there, but still. It's nothing like, and then, and see, land can vary too. Like my, my, my grazing system is going to be much different than yours. And then all ours are going to be much different from the guy in Florida. Yeah. I'm at the point where it's seasonal grazing really. Yeah. And I think most of it here needs to just be taken down and mulched right there. Yeah. So how often are you uh, are you on uh, Permaculture Voices? Are you, is that weekly now? Yeah, we do a question and answer every week. That's awesome. So people can find you there, they can connect with you there, and yeah. and, and you have and when can we sign up for uh, the course? Uh, you can see the trailer now, and you can sign up for it now. I'm gonna do a free three part training series. Um, total about three videos probably totaling about 20 25 minutes on the overall concept and you can sign up for that now um you you uh, you can do that at abundantpermaculture.com just join my email list there you get that three-part video series that comes out august 11th and that's for free and then you do the video series and it's kind of like you like that or you didn't um and if you liked it then then you get a chance to buy my course um, after that free training series is over. Nice. So it's like a prerequisite. Well, it's just, it's just really to get the information out there, promote what's coming, uh, get a lot, you know, pique people's interest. Not everybody knows me. So, um, it's, it's a way to build trust and give, and then people feel more comfortable going into it and making a small investment in a, in a larger library of information absolutely i'm excited about this so, yeah awesome so if people have the information abundantpermaculture.com is your website yes and justin thank you so much for coming on you're welcome thanks for having me all right well you have a wonderful day and keep doing what you're doing okay you too awesome that everyone here checks out permaculture chickens checks out what abundant permaculture is all about and learns from justin rhodes he's got a lot to teach and all of us have something to learn from him so check out what he's doing he's on permaculture voices the the, the podcast all the time every week answering questions he has a new webinar coming out a new course so check those things out hop on get tuned tuned in and Start doing it yourself in your own homestead. I too am having webinars soon, August 11th. I'm gonna be talking about my crazy gardening style and how you can adapt those styles to where you are living and the climate you are living and make an abundance happen really easily. When you're done with my webinar, you're gonna go, go out and you're gonna start throwing seeds around, you're gonna start saving seeds. It's gonna change the dynamic. You're gonna start gardening with a knife. It's gonna change everything. So. 
get ready for that August 11th um, we're gonna be, start doing signups this week uh, so you can sign up for that uh, just keep your eye out on our Facebook pages and Twitter and whatnot hope you all have a good week I hope you all are finding some cool places in this heat and if you're on the other side of the globe I hope that you are finding some warm places to stay warm this winter and from permaculture tonight have a great one